Hello, you're listening to the Hands to the Plow podcast with John and Helen Free. We're the co-founders of Kateri College of the Liberal and Practical Arts. This podcast is dedicated to discussions on higher education, the Catholic Church in America, and the need to approach higher education in a new and innovative way in order for young people to find their vocations to heaven. In this episode, we have a discussion with Bishop James Conley of the Lincoln, Nebraska Diocese. We hope that you enjoy. Be sure to visit our website at www.katiricollege.org. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Hands to the Plow. This is John Free. And Helen Free. And we're very uh, pleased to have with us today our, our friend and former co-worker in the vineyard of Lincoln, uh, Bishop James Conley, who has always been extremely interested in, in education. And uh, we're, we're very happy to have you here with us today, Bishop. Great to be with you, John and Helen. So always good to be with you, especially talking about uh, education and learning. Uh, it's always a, a wonderful time to, to visit with you about those important subjects. Thank oh, you. Thank, thank you, you, Bishop Colin. You know, we were sad to, to leave the Diocese of Lincoln and uh, leave you as our shepherd. Um, so to, to sort of depart from your flock to the, the flock of Bishop James Wall in Gallup. Uh, it was it was a good five years that we spent with you. But of course, we've known you for longer than five years. We kind of, both of us, John, both as singles and then also as married, we've really mm-hmm. known you now for 30 years, I think just so. about, yeah. maybe, maybe 25, yeah. maybe aging myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew yeah. you when I was a student at University of Dallas on the Rome program, and you were the chaplain to the Rome students there at Manciana, and then also at Due Santi. And so that's when I first met you was over pizza at an outside outdoor pizza oven, and it, it always it always made an impression. <laughs> we... Well, those those are great memories. Yeah, those are great memories to have. And uh, and I and whenever you mention Italy, I always think of food. So uh, I'm, I'm sure it was a great pizza. <laughs> and uh, I guess along similar lines, we met, but it was over over drinks at at a pub in Oxford. When you you had been invited uh, or were there visiting uh, then uh, Jesuit Father Michael Barber for a Newman conference, and I think that was the first time we uh, we we met, and it's been a it's been a great friendship since then. Um, right. We might we might just uh, start talking. Obviously, education, higher education, especially in our time, is undergoing um, undergoing serious challenges. Um, and as someone who has been interested in education and uh, in whom education played a special role early on, um, we thought you might talk about what you what you see as some of the needs, especially for for faith based or or Catholic education today. Yes, it's a it's a it's a big a big topic, but it's also um, a very important topic and. As I mentioned, um, you know, I think education in general, first in general, education has been uh, uh, kind of heading in a different direction than it that it had been heading. Uh, it's been heading in a different direction this, probably the last fifty years, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I call it uh, uh, industrial style education uh, in the sense that 
especially higher education, uh, more and more oriented towards uh, careers and mm-hmm. you know making a living and getting a good job. Um, and whereas for centuries, education, especially Catholic education, um, has always been uh, the, you know uh, the, the goal of of forming the whole person into uh, kind of shaping the mind and the heart uh, to becoming um, yeah, a saint ultimately, mm-hmm. but but to grow in the virtues and to deepen in the wisdom of what's been said and written for centuries. Mm-hmm. That's always been the foundation of, of particularly Catholic education. Um, but, you know, I think with modern education, uh, and especially I think in the last, gosh, in the last 10 or 15 years, it seems to be heading in this direction even at a, at a, more, at a more rapid pace is, 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 is to um, prepare people for the, for the workforce, mm-hmm. get, getting the best job um, and being trained for the best job. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, been the, the um, you know, the last, at least during our lifetime, where education's been headed. But the good thing is, is people are beginning to re- realize it. And I think there's a lot more opportunities now uh, to find education, uh, find places to, to study that will that will um, kind of restore and recover these great principles of, of uh, Catholic education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I like to use that industrial in nature because one of the things that has really struck me is that whether you're talking about a four-year university or college education, again, the so-called white-collar jobs, or, uh-huh. or whether you're talking about vocational training, which is the so-called blue-collar jobs, in some sense, the goal of both, at least the rhetoric of both, seems to be the same, and that is money. You can make yeah. money uh, doing these things. And what we're seeing right now, Bishop, is almost a pendulum swing away from the four-year university model back towards vocational training, but it's not to train people to be virtuous sons and daughters of God, but it, it again is that issue of money that you can make. And, it, and it's true, you can make a lot of money now in the trades. It, they're highly in demand and you can quickly enter into the workforce, but we've lost that sense of the transcendent. Um, in many ways, that sense of the transcendent only remains in a handful of schools around the country because the primary concern has become that idea of what type of job are you, what type of job are you going to get? Um, and yet, when you look at some of the uh, still very fine liberal arts schools, there does remain that question of what can you do with your philosophy degree? What will you do as an English major? And so you don't want to dismiss that concern of a livelihood, because I think that's a very valid concern, too. And so that's one of the things that we're thinking about with the Kachiri College of the Liberal and Practical Arts, is how do we form a curriculum in which we can try to do both? Um, and again, not for the sake of a job, but for the sake of, of really forming the whole human person, because that's what seems so so lacking right now 
in our education. And maybe that's what's causing this, this sense of purposelessness that, that at least you and I, John, have encountered with a lot of young people who are very aimless and they don't, they don't know what their calling is and they don't know what to do. And so either they don't go to, they, either they're not getting a job, either they're just sitting around doing nothing, or they're getting deeper and deeper into debt as they continue more schooling, hoping that somehow some type of proverbial light bulb will be turned on and they'll know, they'll know what it is God wants them to do. But it's a difficult situation, I think, right now for young people. It is, it is. And, you, and when you speak, when you talk to them, it's 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 sad because um you know they they think they're supposed to be um preparing themselves for you know uh, some kind of career and uh, to make make good money you know and, and obviously everybody's got to get a job you got to make a living that i'm not saying that and we're not saying that, that you know that that's not important it is it's very important because you have to um you know you have to especially if you're called to marriage you have to be able to provide for your families and and for your family so that's that's uh that's important but um the instead of you know thinking along the lines of well what is going to fulfill me how am i going to thrive in this world uh, and, and what am i called to um and then think about how I'm going to make a living mm-hmm. um, because that that's really what, what ultimately the human heart s- seeks for is, is purpose and fulfillment sure. and part of the way you learn and discover that purpose and fulfillment in your life is um, by immersing yourself in in this wisdom that's been handed down to us which kind of puts you in touch with the, your 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 deepest desires mm-hmm. and uh, and and those things that really that really excites you and, and and energizes you and then you know once you along once you kind of head out along that path then everything else will fall into place. Mm-hmm. Your your own experience uh, at uh, the Integrated Humanities Program, um, I think, was was so essential for you and for many of your classmates and that was you know that was John Senior's radical approach not radical in the in the commonly understood mm-hmm. political sense but radical in a in a return a return to the roots and a return to those perennial questions that the great books and great literature deal with and and one of the things that we see is well two things there's been a loss of the transcendence both on the intellectual or academic side in those liberal arts programs that have shied away from the transcendent because it touches on God. Um, and then likewise on the, on the trade side too, a kind of, um, a kind of uh, sort of coarseness which also doesn't look at the transcendent. And our idea with this college was, was to, another kind of integration, an integration between these two worlds, the the intellectual and the vocational, almost in, along the lines of what Saint Benedict envisioned for the training of his of his community of, of the Benedictines. No, absolutely. That was one of the things that uh, that the Integrated Humanities Program at the University of Kansas uh, really uh, really kind of instilled into into us as students. 
was this understanding that uh, that we are are ultimately fulfilled by not only uh, growing in in the intellectual life and learning um, intellectual things, but also experiencing uh, the um, those things that uh, ignite the imagination and uh, put us in touch with with the realities of of the world. And um, I remember we were we were able to meet. Well, we, we did a semester in Ireland, mm-hmm. and uh, we were on this little island called Inishbofin, which is off the west coast. And there were these fishermen that we were able to get to know. And these men, you know, who worked with their hands and who built their own boats and could navigate, you know, the, the, the storms of the Atlantic Ocean. At the same time, these men were well read i mean mm-hmm. they'd read they'd read the iliad and the odyssey and they were familiar with po- they could quote lines from books and they could quote poetry mm-hmm. they memorized poetry when they were growing up and um you know they had a really very good education growing up and um that idea of of you know being very um practically skilled in fish let's say let's say being fishermen um, and then also being very well read and wise. Today, those two things don't seem to go together. You, you got to be one or the other. Exactly. Uh, exactly. And, and, that, and that's why the beauty of, of something like uh, um, St. Kateri's uh, College would be uh, something that I think that, that would be of a great attraction for young people mm-hmm. uh, because because there are people who are naturally inclined to the practical arts. Yes, yes. And, 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 to, and to complement that with, you know, the, the great traditions, um, you would really have uh, a beautiful kind of education. Mm-hmm. I know you've said and made the point, and this was really the behind the founding of the, of the Newman Institute for Catholic Thought and Culture in Lincoln, You've made the point repeatedly that such a high percentage of Catholic undergraduates are at state universities. Therefore, it mm-hmm. it behooves us to to offer an intellectual component at state universities. And there's another element somewhat related to that that we're finding that that so many of these Catholic families, large Catholic families, uh, some of some of whose children have gone to Thomas Aquinas and Christendom. Wyoming Catholic, um, we we think that there are many others in those families, perhaps even a, a, a greater percentage, that although interested in, in forming themselves in their faith and in philosophy, many of them may not want or be inclined towards a four-year degree in the great books. Many of them may want to work with their hands or in the trades. So that's, mm-hmm. a, that's, a, that's kind of an untapped market out there. Um, and this would be the Kateri College would be a way to to, to serve them. And I think Kateri College is just one of, of many such ventures that we will see uh, coming coming into being in the next ten years as higher education fails um, fails to fulfill its mission uh, of educating the whole person. 
Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%, John. I, I was thinking when you were talking uh, when we were in college and, and the you mentioned earlier <clears throat> the uh, Benedictine tradition mm-hmm. and the monks that are formed in the monastery. And, of course, a monastery is sort of like a little microcosm of the world because they have to produce all their own food and everything they have to eat and to build their own uh, furniture and things like that. But um, one of my classmates, uh, Mark Owen, who was one of the brightest guys in our class, and he entered the monastery, and he was called by God to be a brother. He never was ordained a priest, and he now runs the farm Mm -hmm. at uh, Clear Creek. And so here's a guy who's obviously very bright intellectually, um, but he he's called to work the land. And um, I think that's a good example of someone you know, that kind of, you, kind of blends both of those um, crafts, the trades and the intellectual life. And even now he continues to read and he continues to grow uh, mm-hmm. intellectually. Mm-hmm. You know, even if, even if uh, God doesn't help us to, to bring this college to fruition, you know, we're going around the country right now talking to a lot of different people in different walks of life around the country. So currently we actually are here in South Bend, Indiana. But even if the college itself doesn't, uh, doesn't grow, if that's not God's will, we sort of feel like it's our mission on this trip, on this evangelization trip we're taking in the RV, to talk to people about education and precisely this area of, of the vocations, the vocational trades, as, uh, as a worthy profession. Because what we're encountering repeatedly is several things. First, a real undue deference to our title, doctor, who doctor... Helen or Dr. John. As soon as people see the card, I almost want to take it off of the card. As soon as people see our business card, they say, oh, it's usually, oh, doctor. And that irritates me because in some sense, it's, it's, a, it's a type of status. It indicates our own education level. But I don't like to see how other people react simply to that, that status that we've achieved of, of doctor. Uh, so that's one thing that I've noticed. But another one I've noticed is people demean their own profession mm-hmm. if they're not at an academic institution or at a, uh, a, professional, a professional job. So a couple of quotations. One was this wonderful, godly me- mechanic there in Lincoln when John said uh, he would like to come and spend a couple of weeks with him learning some of the trade, the man said very deferentially, and, and, I, and I was sad to hear what he said. He said, oh, no, no, John, you have better things to do. More important. More important things, things to, to do. do. Uh-huh. As if somehow what he did was not as important as what we were doing. Yeah. And then I met another man who said that he was, quote, unquote, just, he said he was just a mechanic. And... Mm. I, and I and I stopped him and I corrected him and I and I said you're you're not just a mechanic. I said this is what God has called you to do and um, and so that's just something that I think is part of our own society where we've come because of this this evolving of of education, which really has not been an evolution at all. 
but is this really a stratification of our of our culture into into classes based on education and if you have a four-year degree or a graduate degree you are somehow in that elite class and if you do not if you just have a high school degree and then a vocational certification you somehow are below others and so what we really want to do is try to encourage people no matter what God has called them to do that that's what God has called them to do and I was I was struck today in the homily for All Saints Day was the priest said it doesn't matter how much money you've made or how many pe- people you know or how powerful you know in the end the only thing that matters is that you become a saint and and that I think is what what many of us have have forgotten mm-hmm. yeah oh isn't that true that's so true um, and, you know, especially for uh, Catholic education, um, I can understand in a way public education, you can't really overtly, although public education, let's say non-religious uh, education, was always about, um, you know, building the virtues, helping to educate in the virtues, mm-hmm. um, which is a kind of secular version of growing in holiness. Mm-hmm. Uh you know, being the good, you know, being trying to, to be the good person, the good, live the good life. Um, but certainly in Catholic education, that should be foremost. First and foremost, the goal is to uh, is to grow in holiness and to help students to to uh, to grow in 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 holiness to become saints. Mm-hmm. And um, but that's uh, unfortunately, I think secular education has really influenced Catholic education a lot. Um, and it's uh, because a lot of the teachers, as we know, and we've talked about this before, a lot of the teachers are formed in secular schools. It's, it's not their fault, but they learn this other kind of education, and, and that's what they bring into their own teaching. Um, but it's uh, like you know, there, there's signs that, uh, that, that, that because I think the kind of the bankruptcy of secular education there's people are looking for something else um and that's why i think uh um kateri college could or or models of education like kateri would be very attractive to people mm-hmm. and it would give, give them some some alternative and, and would draw them yes we notice uh passing through on our trip uh minnesota just looking at some headlines and minnesota state university uh, within a year, uh, a, a, an 11% drop in the number of students attending that statewide system. Um, mm. And then we also look just, uh, the, uh, I think the Census Bureau recently came out with a number, if, I've, if I'm remembering correctly, but a $2.9 million, $2.9 million reduction in the number of students nationwide because of the increase in homeschooling. So obviously some parents and, and some students, college students, are are not satisfied with what is on offer and they're looking for other other alternatives. Um, going back to what you were saying before about the, the, the fishermen, the well-read fishermen, uh, I think one of our goals too is to restore to manual work the the dignity that it that it should have, uh, and at least in the in Catholic and Christian circles, it it should have that dignity, a, a skill, 
which is practiced in service of society, in service of one's fellow men and women, uh, that's something to be proud of. And if it's done with the right motive, again, it's, it's, it's as much a means to holiness as any, any other profession. I think the fact that they have looked down upon themselves or have lost that sense of dignity, uh, that's been uh, harmful for that, the, the working class, as it were, the trades class. But it's also been harmful to the intellectual class because it's given them a false sense of their own superiority. <laughs> and that has not been good. Right, right. Well, it's like what Helen was saying a few minutes ago, that, uh, you know, they, there's a certain, um, you know, uh, kind of a prestige about it that's not, uh, that's not right. It's not deserving. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That, that to be held up on a pedestal. Exactly. Uh, you know, someone who's who, who, you know, sort of the, the top in the, in the academic world. Um, but I think it too, that you look at the cost of education, you mentioned that as yes. well, the cost of education mm-hmm. and the money that uh, is invested in, educa- in higher education. That, that's, I think, another bubble that's going to be burst too because it can't sustain itself. Well, uh, it's, a, it's a bubble. It's a bubble, but I also think it, it really borders on a sin how much, and secular people, they can be excused for it, but how much Catholic schools are charging and allowing their students to become indebted because it is really, it, it's quite standard now for the average 22-year-old man or woman to be six figures in debt. Uh, we're in the shadow, of course, of the Golden Dome, so I won't speak ill of Our Lady. I grew up in this <laughs> in this fine town. That's right. But it's, That's right. That's it's, right. You're at the heart of it. <laughs> the heart of it. <laughs> A beautiful, beautiful university. It is quite expensive. And even with financial aid and so forth, um, people have to pay that back. And they don't really realize when they're taking out these loans that a loan means you need to pay it back sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been talking to uh, you know, a number of people here, family members and so forth, who shared with me you know, how much they're in debt and how much they've been able to make as a starting job. And you do the math and they won't be out of debt until they're just about my age, you know, 47. And that causes a huge, a huge problem, especially from a Catholic moral perspective, because what do you do if you're a man or a woman and, and you want to get married and suddenly your 100000 becomes a $200,000 debt as you join households? Or what do you do if you want to go into the religious life if I if I remember correctly, you have to be debt free to enter a monastery or uh, a religious house, um, and so that's that's just a huge burden. So when do you begin a family? Do you delay marriage? Do you delay children because you're saddled with an unpayable debt? So I don't I don't I feel very strongly about that particular area that it is not right to charge that much money to young people for the education that they get and the job that they're able to get afterwards. Just the cost-benefit analysis no longer right. works. Mm-hmm. Right. No, it's true. It's true. It is, it is really true. And like, it, it, How long can it sustain itself? Because um, it's so disproportioned. It's turned upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just can't. I know that uh, the students get financial aid, and so they have 
you know, endowments like uh, Notre Dame, Francis has one of the largest endowments of any, of any university, certainly more than any Catholic university. But, um, you know, that's just uh, not sustainable uh, in the long run. Um, and, and, and students can't get themselves out of debt um, without having to sacrifice something right uh, when they when, when they when they leave college yeah and and some obviously some debt is understandable uh, and it's uh, it's not usurious but you you do reach a level where it is it, it, it is no longer a uh, a just amount to to pay well we've we've been a little bit gratified in the response to young people in our idea and these are these are young men and women who are in their 20s so they've they've gone through college but different colleges some have been through notre dame others through wyoming catholic others through unl university of nebraska but but they've all said that they really wished there had been this option that we're describing because they they, they love their liberal arts tradition but many of them felt upon graduation that they either had to keep going to school to get a job, or they had to get some extra training of some sort, or they themselves just went back into teaching. And usually those starting jobs were in the thirty to 40000 range, which again, if you're seventy five to 150000 in debt, you've got a lot of years to put in before you can start paying yeah. that back. Um, Unless you hit the lottery. <laughs> hit the lottery exactly, uh, but they but what they said to us is this model that we're describing seems to them to be a really excellent model that would have allowed them in a way what they were looking for, which which is that that strong education in the liberal arts, and so that that opening up of of wonder and knowledge of God and knowledge of of man and history and poetry and theology. It, offered the, it would offer them that, but it would also offer them something to do, something practical, something that, again, would, would make some money. Uh, and so, so that's encouraged us to hear, in some sense, the response of, of people. Our target audience, of course, would, would be the current batch of, of eighth graders. And so I'm sure at this point they don't know what they, <laughs> they, don't know what they want uh-huh. at 13 or 14 years of age. But, um, but I think the Lord has put on our heart an educational model that is necessary and increasingly needed for, for our time. I, I, I agree. I agree. And, you know, everyone feels, I think every, uh, every young person, there's this pressure, you know, that they have to go to college. Mm-hmm. And um, this, this, this concept is sort of the best of both worlds because, um, there are many young people. There are many, many young people who go to four years of college and they're just bored. And they're, of course, the college is not offering much to get them excited about anyway. But they are just they, they would they, they would be rather doing something else. But they feel like that's that's they have to go to college. Mm-hmm. And so, um, a college like uh, Kateri College, um, they could you know go to a co- go to that college and learn those skills, those trades, which they really want to do, and get, like Helen was saying, and get a, a liberal arts education. Mm-hmm. So you really combine the best of both worlds, and they come out of there, uh, you know, without a tremendous debt, having, you know, learned, um, you know, really a, a wonderful, have a wonderful liberal arts education, and a skill or yes. trade that they can go immediately to work 
um, because I know the, the the trades. I mean, that's actually where the those are where the jobs are because no yeah, one absolutely. one no one wants to do those jobs, and two, um, it's hard to find somebody who's skilled to do them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the in thinking and praying about this venture, one of the inspirations for us were our former students, many of them at Wyoming Catholic College who had received four years of a, of, of a tremendously uh, strong, uh, great books, education, philosophy, literature, theology, but upon graduation decided that they wanted to work with their hands. And these students, many of them with that degree, ended up going into the oil fields or into the trades. And now four, six years after graduation, because they can think and and communicate well, and because they're honest and they have a sense of integrity and, and good work ethic, self-discipline. self-discipline, they've risen to the very top of their fields, of their trades. And that was one of the sources of inspiration for us, the idea yeah. of the idea of people well-educated, formed in their faith, able to, as your fishermen discuss literature and quote poetry, but who were also great tech technicians and tradesmen um and i think i think we're heading towards a time where this country will will need such uh such tradesmen and women and uh, and that's our i think that's our our hope and the hope is to open by by the fall of uh, 2024 we'll see we'll see how what the Lord does with that <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah you're building the foundation right now you're laying you're laying the foundation right now and getting the word and finding people who are uh, who would be interested who um, whose families might be interested and um, and and just beginning the dis- the discussion the conversation I think it's uh, I think it's very doable mm-hmm. we know when we were in Lincoln uh, two weeks ago now it was the height of the harvest and it was a beautiful week that we were mm-hmm. there it was just sort of a prime week for the for the farmers and uh, ranchers but uh, we were invited out to uh, Anna Medina's farm, and her, and that's a whole family operation. She's a large family, so her brothers, herself, they all came home to work the farm and uh, bring in the harvest. But what struck me watching them, they brought these huge you know, semi-truck full of their soybeans that they were putting up into the silo, and just the, the incredible abundance that was there. But what struck me was you know, what John and I are doing right now is you know, very much like the farmer and what we're responsible for and that we're responsible for preparing the soil and planting the seeds. But then in some sense, the, the prime work is done secretly and, and hiddenly. And that's the, the grace of our Lord as he sends the, the rain and the sunshine upon the earth to bring forth the harvest. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what John and I are doing now is we are planting seeds and we are doing what we can very limited as as human beings to achieve this this new foundation. We're, we're trying to achieve something new, but uh, but it's planting seeds, and so we see this year as the, the year of preparing soil and planting seeds. But what harvest comes really depends upon depends upon our Lord and His will right. for this. Right. And we're open, and we're completely open to that. Uh, we feel that each person that we've met is a providential 
encounter even Mr. Joseph today at McCree's Italian Bakery, uh, <laughs> whom we had wonderful, a wonderful conversation about current state of affairs and education. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we really did leave it to the Lord, and, and we're his instruments. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's beautiful, Helen. That's beautiful. And it's, uh, uh, it's really um, the way the Lord wants it to be. I mean, we, the minute we think that we control it all, or that we can make it all happen is when we realize that, um, you know, failure. Uh, whereas if we are instruments in the hand of the Lord and allow him to work through us and we simply prepare the ground and, and can plant the seed and then, uh, and then he waters it and he uh, brings it forth and brings about the fruit, then, um, you know, that's the right order of things. Mm-hmm. And it, it, yeah, and it gives one a certain sense of detachment then, because it's not, it's not strictly speaking, our work exclusively, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Um, well, Bishop Conley, this has been wonderful to have uh, to to reconnect, uh, albeit by by phone here. And we really thank you for your um, taking part in this podcast, and also for your continued support, and obviously for your for your friendship. So we're, we're very, very happy to have you with us. Well, it's an honor. It's an honor. And you're, you're very much missed in Lincoln and you still have lots of friends in Lincoln. So you know that you're always welcome back uh, to come and visit anytime and, uh, and spend time with uh, so many that have come to know and love you. And the, the Newman Institute uh, continues uh, to, to go forth and to, uh, uh, try to carry on the work that you started, that you helped when we founded it. Um, so, um, yeah, this will be a good thing. We'll pray. We'll pray f- for the same thing to happen in Gallup. And my good friend Bishop Wall will be a a good shepherd for you uh, as you begin this new this new venture. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you again, and blessings of uh, all saints on you. Bishop Bishop Conley, would you mind giving a blessing to all those who are listening or who will listen? Sure. May the blessing of Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much, Bishop Conley. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you for listening, everyone. If you liked our podcast, please leave us some feedback and be sure to share it with others in order for us to be able to spread the word about the work we are trying to accomplish in Gallup, New Mexico. God bless you all.